Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by John Gabriel, owner of Apex Advertising and co-owner of the Elk Collective. John is a successful elk and mule deer hunter, but unlike most Western hunters, he loves chasing mountain whitetails. We talk about what it's like chasing mountain bucks in the Northwestern U.S., scouting, playing the long game, non-resident whitetail hunting in Washington, bad weather equaling big bucks, and much more. The Spartan Forge app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic, and state research. The new app includes GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability, deer prediction, weather updates, journal entries, and much more. Be sure to continue to update the app because every week there is new features that are being added, uh, including the new measurement tool and a bunch of things to come here in the future. So if you want to check out that, you can use the code East Meets West to save 20% off of the Spartan Forge app at spartanforge.ai. You can also, if you're not sure and you're on the fence about it, head over to spartanforge.ai and sign up for the, the 14-day free trial and use that code East Meets West. And then it'll apply the discount if you decide to keep it going forward. So check that out. Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile hunting gear options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. The new Skeletor climbing sticks come in at just about two pounds a piece and are budget friendly uh, compared to their one sticks. They're not as lightweight, but they're a little bit easier on the pocketbook. So to learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. The products are back with a lifetime no-fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. You can now save money on bundling options of spotting scopes, rifle scopes, and more on their website. Whether you're looking for an ultralight setup or an optics powerhouse, Maven has you covered. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join me on Go Wild today to get 10 bucks to spend on gear for just setting up your account. You'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards and you can now see my complete gear setups over underneath my profile, which is just under my name, Bo Martonic. Join it time to go wild.com or in the app store you can use the code east meets west to save 10 percent off of all hunting gear on the website including tethered saddle hunting products so check that out this week's mountain buck monday story of the week comes from the one and only johnny stewart so Johnny had said, at 4.30 a.m. before the first day of the gun season in Pennsylvania, I studied the Spartan Forge app and found an area that was vast and would allow me to find some buck tracks to follow since we had four inches of snow. Just before daylight, I spotted buck tracks crossing the road. 
I followed the deer but bumped him. He then bedded on a mountain point with two other bucks, which I spooked while tracking him. I decided to back out and go eat lunch. After lunch, I headed back to their track. Three bucks were on the move, and I saw a small opening where the bucks were headed. I shouldered my gun and fired a shot when the next buck stepped into view. The rest is history. This is a, a typical Johnny Stewart track job. He always seems to get it done in the late season, getting after it. I'm going to have to get the, the full story of this from Johnny, as well, I did in, in person, but I'd love to always love to get Johnny back on the podcast. So if you want to check out that buck and uh, some of the, the photos and stuff of it, head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook, and you can check all of that out over there. In other news, we have some new apparel over on the East Meets West website. You got the Spike Dad Hat and the Deer Camp Roper, which are both made by Legacy here in Pennsylvania. If you ever have been familiar with Legacy hats, their old favorite is uh, the well, it is a favorite from everybody for how comfortable it is, but they have a bunch of different styles. So these are some of the new ones that, that I got super comfortable and, um, that the deer camp ropers is then the burnt orange colors is, uh, my favorite new hat that I've come out with in, in a while there. So you can go check those out and any orders off of the website, any pair orders, any products, 3% is donated to a conservation conservation organization of the quarter and for this quarter until uh, the end of 2021 here three percent goes to the national deer association so i try to choose organizations that i really like and support and be able to to give back there so go check that out eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop if you want to go support the podcast and some of these organizations as well as rocking some sweet lifestyle apparel all right, so now we're getting to the end of, well, we are at the end of 2021 and, and looking forward on 2022 here. So I I, um, I hope everyone's kind of, you know, rewind and looking back at, at their year, you know, things they can improve on, you know, whether that's hunting, life or whatever else, you know, more important stuff than, than hunting, but looking at it and seeing what you can improve on and going forward i'm I'm not one for new year's resolutions so to speak uh, but it does give you a good kind of reset at the beginning of the year and just just looking forward so um there's the western hunting and i'm going to be doing some more stuff of that here uh, when it comes around finding opportunities and everything else because it is getting harder to find over-the-counter opportunities and other things out there so i'm going to try to put together some more information here working on something for free range american right now as far as uh, draw deadlines and everything else and putting together uh, a plan going to get uh, some of the guys from eastman's back on the podcast to help um, talk about building out a plan and how to do that as far as you know because it is confusing so trying to set yourself up to to have opportunities this year and also in the future so those are some of the things first and foremost that look into to share coming out in 2022 but a couple of big things that i had mentioned I guess earlier in 2021 that 
um, going to pull the trigger on and go forward with. I, I've had both of these ideas for quite a while and I've just been kind of overthinking them and really haven't had much of the time to put them together, but I'm going to dedicate the time to do that and, and get it rolling. So the one is an in-person mountain bucks camp. So I don't know exactly what the name of it's going to be, but essentially where have people come in for a couple days and go through listen to myself and others, you know, talk in a, in a classroom setting about some different scouting type things and, and getting your hands on some of the gear, having some of these companies come in um, and getting to try out some saddles, getting to learn how to e-scout and do all these different things in person. But the most important part is being able to get out in the field and seeing how how we look at it and how we're scouting and how we're putting together a plan. So I'm looking at, at doing that probably sometime in April before green up really comes, but, um, but given some time to put this, t this whole thing together. So be on the lookout for that as well as, uh, an online course that, that I'm working on for scouting. So I've done a lot of YouTube videos and a lot of free content out there, which I'll continue to do, but this would be a more encompassing for someone that really wants to learn from the very beginning to the end, creating the framework, looking at scouting, understanding all of those different components to scouting and to big woods whitetails and putting that together all in one place and that's uh that's something that that i'm looking looking to do uh going forward here so as far as when that'll be released it'll probably sometime mid 2022 so it's going to be a lot of work to put together but um building that out and if anybody has anything specific that they think would be cool to cover or really interested in learning definitely shoot me an email over at bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com and uh, i'll be able to check that out so well i hope that uh you've been having uh some good time with your families over the holidays here and had a merry christmas and now it's kind of time to focus on getting into the new year and uh the winter months so Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Cool. All right. We're live. John Gabriel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's good to have a, a Western whitetail hunter. You don't hear of too many of them uh, <laughs> be able to come on. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh kind of rare. I get, I get a lot of heat from all the guys out here in the West, everybody, you know, you need to be hunting mule deer and at least I got the elk thing going, but as soon as, um, late season comes, I'm off chasing whitetails and everyone thinks I'm nuts because I'm not out chasing big mule deer around, around the mountains, but it's all right. I, you kind of get, get used to it, take the heat, deal with it. And it is what it is. Yeah. So how did, uh, how did, what's your background as far as how did you kind of get into whitetails and where you grew up and stuff like that? Yeah. So I actually grew up in Western Washington. Um, I was about 45 minutes South of Seattle, hours South of Seattle off towards Mount Rainier. And, uh, I was born and raised there and just kind of spent my whole life in Washington pretty much. Um, about two years ago, I actually moved to Utah with the other half, two and a half years ago. And then, uh, this year we actually moved to Montana. So, um, kind of been all over the last three years here, but now we 
finally settled. But anyways, um, yeah, the whitetail thing kind of came out of nowhere in Washington. Um, it, it was about 2004 or five. Um, I was like a sophomore junior in high school and my dad, um, he just kind of came over one year and he's like, Hey, uh, he worked, well, let me back up. He worked at an archery shop. Okay. Uh, my dad, he was retired and just wanted something to do, went and worked at the local archery shop. And there was a guy in there that we knew, um, just from around the area, older gentleman, um, kind of same age as my dad. And, uh, he's 74 now. And so anyways, he was like, Hey, I'm going whitetail hunting in Eastern Washington. You know, do you want to go? And my dad was like, well, I've never done it, I guess. So let's go give it a shot. Well, this guy had been over there and done it for, you know, handful of years, probably six, seven years at that point. And, uh, took my dad along and kind of just threw him at the crash course of like, Hey, focus on this area and just go figure it out. You know, take the thing And my dad took it and went with it. And so got some tree stands, trail cameras, everything, and just decided to go and give it a shot. So my dad pretty much froze to death in the stand the first year because he didn't have enough clothes and, <laughs> you know, and so he literally he, he said he'd sit from like daylight until like 8 a.m and was already you know freezing and so he'd go get in the truck and warm up and come back and sit in the stand and learn real fast that he just didn't have enough clothes going on the first couple of years yeah and uh, <laughs> so he it took him a few to kind of dial in his outfit but he'd seen just total random. Like the guy kind of told my dad a few things to look for these, some scrapes and, you know, rub lines and stuff and just certain things to keep an eye out for. So my dad just took off hiking and found some of these spots and Hey, this looks good. And a big scrape and I'm gonna hang a tree stand right there and let's call it a day. Well, he had this giant buck walk out and it just big four on each side, big split eye guards. And my dad said still to this day, it's probably one of the biggest bucks that we've seen in all of our years over there. And, uh, never even got a shot off at it because it hurt him draw and spooked and ran. And so after that, I think my dad was kind of hooked because, you know, he's hunted blacktails his entire life in Western Washington. So it was kind of a new thing and man, seeing a big buck like that, like snow on the ground, let's, let's try it. So then the next year he's like, Hey, do you want to, you want to go with me and give this a shot? I'm like, let's try it. Well, like, why not? You know, I mean, something different. So he kind of had the kind of the rough times out of the way, at least with clothing. So he kind of got me dialed in pretty quick, you know, with a bunch of clothes. And um, we went over and started just scouring the woods and the hillsides and just trying to find and figure out spots. And um, by that point, man, I don't know. It was like almost like you were hooked before you even knew that you were hooked, if that yeah. makes sense. It, you know, it was kind of a, I haven't even killed one yet. I haven't even sat in the tree stand. I haven't even done anything. And, um, it was like, man, this is just fun. Like trying to figure them out, figure out where we're, what we're doing, you know, where, where's this tree stand going to go. And, um, we set some tree stands and it was literally like probably my first evening or second day in the stand. I can't remember. It's been 17 years ago, but, um, anyways, we were sitting in, I was sitting in the stand and I had this just giant buck come just cruising down through the timber, like coming towards me. And it came into about 80 yards maybe, and then just turned and like walked off. And I literally remember thinking, seeing that deer and like my heart was going so bad. <laughs> that I like, One, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to shoot this buck. Yeah. And then, you know, if it comes in closer and two, it was just seeing a deer like that on the hoof was kind of, I mean, I grew up hunting blacktails too. And I didn't, 
you know, I never seen anything like that. And so anyways, I watch it walk off. And of course, after that, I'm like, man, all I wanted was just to see that buck again and kill it. And of course never did. And then yeah. like a whole week and, uh, end up on the last day, my dad's like, just shoot a doe just to get some experience, like just shoot a doe get one under your belt with your bow and in over here, because he was telling me he missed a couple bucks prior because they were, they would duck when he would shoot. And so I was like, whatever this doe comes out last evening, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to shoot this thing and just like get one. Well, I shot that doe, dude, you would think I killed the biggest buck of my life. You know, I was so excited that I just got this white tail doe, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it was, dude, it was the weirdest thing because I'd already killed some elk. I'd killed a couple bears. I've killed black tails, but I'd never killed this white tail. And so it was like the first one with a bow and I'm just, I was jacked. So then I'm like, okay, next year, like, come on, bring it on. So then I don't know. It just literally like, it's funny as it sounds like that doe kind of hooked me, but it was more the experience setting the trail cameras, setting everything, doing all the, the legwork weeks before in advance months leading up to that. So it was like when the next year came around, then we kind of, really went after it and put more time, more effort, more trail cameras, more stands, and um, really just kind of ran through, I guess what I look back now is like the easy times. Cause now everything seems like it's like twice as much work as what it was then. Yeah. But it, I think it was almost like a good thing then because it taught me, Hey, like you're going to have to put in a lot of work at this if you want to kill big deer. And so then I was just on this like path of figuring out how am I going to kill one of these big bucks? Well, in the meantime, so that next year, this one, I think also when I kind of got dug a little deeper into the, the hook, my dad's buddy had been chasing this buck. He shot this buck the year before. So when I shot that doe, uh, he shot this buck and hit it high above the backbone, like just no man's land, barely hit it. And it was a giant and he never showed us pictures, just told us it was big but he had it on show camera and the next year he ends up killing this deer and he hunts it literally for like three weeks and ends up killing this thing in December. And there's like 20 inches of snow on the ground and just super cold, like negative temperatures kills this buck and it ends up being like 226. Oh yeah. My. Yeah. Like public land, Washington whitetail, like 226. And so, of course, after <laughs> after that, I was like, I need to kill one of those deer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like over here, like proud with my, my doe, just, you know, whatever. But anyways, that year before. So that year, though, we hunted so hard. And I ended up shooting that year. Before he killed that buck, I shot just a little basket rack three-point buck. Just a little watch, I guess you guys would call it like a little six-pointer. Yeah. And uh, But anyways, um, yeah, so I, but I was like, ecstatic because i killed one with horns you know but then i see this buck that he killed and i'm just like man i need one of those you know so, <laughs> this will look good in the house <laughs> yeah 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 exactly like this is gonna look awesome you know and uh so long story short after that then the next year of course knowing that there was bucks like that over there oh so my dad that year had shot one a big deer um i don't know how he still doesn't know how big but 170s 80s type buck and ended up losing it and um then he shot a cougar too over there out of out of the stand so there was a lot going on that kind of caught my interest really quick of hey i could shoot a cat there's bears around you know we got big bucks running all over then 
the wolf thing, wolf thing kind of came into play the next year. And at that time, fish and wildlife in Washington was like, there's no wolves. And we had them on trail camera and my dad had one walk out. So there was just so much that kind of came into play that I, I kind of got hooked on just seeing all the animals. And so that's kind of, I think where it started, but then the next year, be my, like my third year really put in the time more time yet than we had before started getting bigger deer on camera. And then that was when everything kind of started clicking. So it was kind of like a three year major learning curve and learn, trying to learn from this guy who killed that big buck. Like I literally like pick his brain. There's a couple other guys started picking their brains and I just wanted to be successful. It, you know, it was like, I just want to punch my tag. I don't care if I'm killing a big deer. I just want to kill a buck every year. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it started. And like, that was my goal. Like, let me just kill a buck every single year and then we'll figure it out from there. And hopefully I start killing bigger ones. So I've only had two years in all my years that I have not killed a buck ever since then. And one of them I got, we got snowed out and we literally, it got about, man, I can't remember that storm dumped. It was like 20 or 22 inches of snow. And we, we just couldn't physically even get into where we hunt. There were trees down everywhere. Um, didn't want to risk it. And then, and then it iced over and my dad was like, we're not, we're not doing this. Yeah. So, uh, that year and then 20 last year, 2020 was the only other year I haven't killed a buck. Were you holding out? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I was hunting one specific deer and I had him the first night and I should have killed him. And I made a rookie mistake that I thought I'd learned over all these years and blew it. And then he came in the next night. What'd you do? So dude, (laughs) it actually, it wasn't actually like as much as like a, a rookie mistake as blowing it. I mean, yes, it was, but so do you hunt out of ground blinds at all? A little bit, not very much. Okay. So about five, six years ago, my sister decides that she wants to start hunting with us. So my dad, Hey, we're going to do ground blinds. I don't want her sitting in a tree and yada, yada. Well, I was like totally against the ground blind thing. Didn't want to do it. Nope. And, uh, seeing her kill a few bucks out of it. And then 2017, actually or 2018, one of the years I killed a big buck sitting in there, but it started raining one day and the snow started melting and my dad talked me into going and sitting in the ground blind for the very first time. And of course, hour and a half after sitting there, this big buck walks out that we had on camera and ended up killing it. So and he never let me live it down. So um, <laughs> my, my mistake was we figured out with the ground blinds is that you pretty much got to put those things in like a couple weeks before you sit in them. If you just go throw one up, those deer get super spooky. And, you know, especially if you have them kind of patterned or coming by at a certain place or whatever. And you just go throw a ground blind in there and you don't brush it in good enough or whatever, you know, some, they're going to know something sticks up. out like a sore thumb. Exactly. And they're going to change their habits. Well, that day we went and checked one of the cameras. Um, we'd done about three weeks prior setup, uh, coming back every weekend, checking everything, changing things, moving stuff, checking scrapes, um, everything. And, uh, we came back and this big buck was on the camera and literally there like every single day and just passing through. And I'm like, I'm killing that deer. And so I'd never seen him before. 
and it was just kind of like one of those, he's too big not to hunt. And he'd been there in the daylight on my camera a couple of days prior. And it, there was a big snowstorm and I'm like, perfect. What we're going to do, Kylie and I, we're going to drive up. We had a blind at another spot and this is, and she was hunting with me. So this is part of where the ground blind came into play is this other stand happened to be kind of dead. I said, let's go up in the morning. It's going to snow hard all day. Let's get that ground blind out, take it down to the other spot, throw it in and just let it dump. And then hopefully the snow will cover it up and we'll be good. So do we go down, we throw this ground blind in and it's snowing and there's already like probably six inches of snow on the ground from nothing that morning. And it just is still dumping. We climb air. And as we're setting the blind up, I was like, let's get out of here today and go sit another blind and we'll come back tomorrow. Well, as we're doing that, all of a sudden a doe and a fawn come walking by and I'm like, Hmm, there's deer in the area. They're moving. It's snowing. The big buck was here yesterday in the daylight. Hadn't been there this morning. Cause I checked the camera. Maybe he'll be there. Let's sit. So we go grab our bows and stuff, go down and just get in the blind. And I was thinking it was snowing so hard that it would cover it up. It did. There's probably six inches of snow on top of the blind. And I'm like, perfect. Deer's not even going to know it's there. And we'd put it in these like thick trees and stuff. So about four o'clock, here's a couple does coming by. And all of a sudden I hear footsteps coming behind us down the hill. And I'm kind of, hmm, maybe it's a doe. I don't know, but we'll find out. So I grab my bow. Kylie's sitting here. She's like, I'll film whatever, you know, first day. She grabs the camera. All of a sudden, 10 yards out of the corner of the blind, that buck's head just like pops out. And he stops and looks right in the freaking window. And I was just like, this is not good. You know, like this is not a good situation. He's either going to spook. I don't even have my bow back. I don't know. And the doe and the fawn are about 20, 22 yards just standing there looking back at him. Dude, he just backs up slow turns, walks around this tree and comes down in it like 50 yards up to the doe and the fawn. Should have drawn my bow. Didn't even draw my bow because I was like, holy crap, that's a big buck in person. Yeah. And I was, you know, like I'm looking at him in person and it just caught me off guard. And I was spooked because when he came down and looked in the window, it, I don't know, dude, it just rattled me. Yeah. And so dude, he walks by at like 22 yards and then stops and I'm not even ready. And then just walks off and that was it. And I just sat there thinking to myself, you've killed enough big bucks. How did this just happen? You know? And so I, I don't know. I just like kind of lost it. So then we snuck out of there next day, came back and I'm like, we're sitting here every day till I kill that deer. Like I had to, like after you seeing a deer like that, I was like, I got to kill it. Dude. Next afternoon, same time comes in but he comes in to my right now instead of the left and comes in and starts, picks up a doe out. There's like a, some old like logging kind of clear cut stuff with a bunch of grown up trees. And he picks up this doe and they come flying in past the blind. I'm at full draw. Cause I hear him coming, try to stop him. I'm like, rap, rap, you know, doing everything, nothing. And he runs off, comes back flying by the blind and just, <laughs> dude, I could not get a shot off at this stupid deer. And uh, so then sat the third day and we're sitting 10 hours a day, nothing. And then fourth day, here he comes again in the evening. I hear him and he, but he's like out in the trees and I can hear him grunt and just running around and, uh, kind of, I don't know. I was like, maybe he'll come by tonight. Not feeling super good about it, but maybe 
Well, he ran off. It got dark. And I was like, let's get out and walk to the truck. Get out of here. He's gone. Dude, we're walking down the road. Climb out of the timber. Well, we have to walk away. It's got the timber. And then we walk this old gated road out to the truck. And we're heading out. All of a sudden, you hear these deer come crashing down through the timber towards us. And I'm like, stop. Turn your headlamp off, you know, as fast as we could. And two does go flying like airborne across the road in front of us. And I hear this buck grunting just running down through the timber and slams on the brakes like next to us at like 15, 20 yards and just stops. And But I can't see because it's like pitch black. And I'm just like, great. Was that that buck? You know, was it him? Was it a different buck? Because there was like two, three other bucks in the area. So I wasn't sure which one it was, but I know he was running the area. So then he runs off. Everything got quiet. We left. Well, I was so hung up on killing that deer and after seeing him and especially having those encounters that I wanted to kill him. This is where my mistake came in because I'm the type of guy. I'll usually check my camera every single day. And so I stopped checking the camera thinking, oh, well, there's a couple other big ones here. Kylie will shoot one of them. One of them is going to come in, make a mistake. But maybe the, my, my, my buck will come back. Hunted six more days, 60 hours, and seen one other buck. And that buck was gone, never on my camera. Like, it was him that night, and we must have spooked him when we were walking out. Oh. And never seen him. <clears throat> so, my mistake was, A, putting the ground blind in, thinking that he wasn't going to notice it, especially with all the snow. Dude, he walked right down, looked out the tree, around that tree, and looked right in at the black hole. Boom. It was over. Never took the same pattern the next few days. When he'd show up on the camera, he showed up from a different direction. So I know the blind spooked him from where he was coming from. And then walking out that night, which you can't control that situation with those does and like him chasing them. Yeah. We just, we got unlucky, but fast forward to this year, that's the buck that I killed this year. Was so, there no way? Yeah. So it was kind of cool because I hunted him for a hundred out over a hundred hours last year. Thought I was, I'm, even though he was gone for 60 of those, but I thought it was him or he was still there, but he wasn't. And then this year, that was the buck that I tracked down again and then hunted him for three days and ended up killing him. So I basically spent 13 days on the same deer so, in the stand. So why do you think he was coming into that same area day after day like that? So they live, the deer that I hunt, they're in the mountains, but they kind of live in a certain little like draw when the rut starts. They kind of literally will hang out in it's, it's tough to say, I would say like maybe a 500 yard circle. Like they, they do, they will not leave it until they get either on lockdown or the does that are there have, have, they've bred them. And then they, then I'll have bucks wander in from three miles away. You know, I mean, it's like, you you don't know, but I think they get in a little core area. There's like major travel. They got thick cover. Then there's travel corridors that come down through this timber. It's kind of a, like a ridge uh, that runs down from like above and it creates a pinch point and it's kind of a flat bench at the bottom of this ridge. Okay. And I yep. think they, they come down there in the night to get the does and they breed and they all kind of run around, they feed on that bench. Cause there's, there's feed, then they're rutting around on that bench and then they can go back up and go bed in these thick draws and they're away from everybody but it's kind of like their travel corridor and a pinch point i guess it's they're coming down out of there and they're hitting these have you ever wanted to have levi morgan andy may johnny stewart and others 
available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories these fingers on these ridges and they all kind of come together. So it's like, they're going to come down searching for does checking. There's a couple big scrapes that I've like dominant scrapes that I've found in these areas in mm-hmm. my areas over the years. So I try to set up next to those. And so that's kind of my, my major strategy, I guess, is trying to find those scrapes set up near them, all the deer in the area. And I've watched on my cameras. I mean, I will have deer come and hit those things like all year you know, yeah. without anything. So I, once I find those spots and I set a camera on them, I kind of know that, Hey, these deer hit this all year. I know that that's a good spot. And then after that, and then the other thing we can do is we can bait. So, but I'll say like, we, we have some spots that we do bait, but the big bucks do not come to like the bait necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it's like they avoid it at all costs. And so it helps keep I, the does in the area. It'll help keep some of the does around, mm-hmm. but the big bucks literally won't touch it. And so I actually have cameras that I'll set up 20, 30 yards back away from the bait as like surveillance cameras and in certain places. And I'll have big bucks come in and literally show up on that camera staring at those. And they'll never come in and they'll never get picked up on the other camera. Really? Yep. And it's the weirdest thing. I had one buck this year that did that. And he literally would stand back at one of my stands that I bait at. Cause I, not all of them I do, but one of them that I do. And I had this camera set up and I made a mock scrape like 20 yards behind it. And this buck, he's like 170 inch deer. And he would come in and just stand there and stare and look at the does. And the other camera would never pick him up. And I had, over two weeks, I had over 5,000 pictures like of deer just at the one spot and nothing like you would not know that buck even existed. He wasn't in the background. Like he would, it was like Houdini. He would just disappear. And then all of a sudden you'd pull the other camera and I'd look at times and he's literally there with like in seconds of when a camera, when the flash or not the flash, but the camera would go off, you know, on the other tree mm-hmm. and it would never pick him up. How do you explain it? It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Like you think you would catch him in the background, but 
it was just far enough that you couldn't see them. That's interesting. And yep. do, and I heard you mention logging cuts. Do, is there yep. quite a few logging cuts in the area that like you hunt in Western or in Eastern Washington? Yeah. In certain areas there are, there's like some areas that have been logged pretty good and there, but when I say that, I mean, they're like, you know, reprod, we call them where they've, you know, grown back up, you know, 10, 15 years. So they're kind of getting to that point where they're really thick. Yeah. Uh, so the deer love that. Um, but some of the stuff I hunt actually, in some of my best spots are big old growth timber. So it's like trees that, you know, big evergreens out here that, you know, I don't know how old they are, 200 years old, maybe like just giant trees, you know, I mean, hundred foot tall tree type thing. And, uh, yeah, some of those, maybe 150 on some uh, big trees and some of that big timber stuff is actually some of my better spots. And it's weird because there doesn't seem like there's as much cover, but I don't know if it's because the tree canopy, the trees are so big that it blocks light out coming down in there. So they feel safer moving around in that big timber all day. I'm, I'm kind of assuming over the years that that's what it is. Cause those have been my better spots. You know, it's, it's funny because I have some areas that are, are thick and evergreens like that, but it's not thick, like as in you can't walk through it. It's pretty open underneath the canopy. But one thing is like, you lose like 25, 30 minutes of shooting light in those areas because they are so dark, but the deer travel through it. Like I find like a lot in Pennsylvania, we have a lot of like hemlocks that'll run through the Creek bottoms and just up on the side of the Hills a little bit. And those areas are money for, for bucks traveling through and stuff but it's not necessarily that thick. And, and I don't, I don't know about how high they are up for you, but like sometimes that canopy will be, I don't know, 12, 14 feet up. And I can't, I can't even go up that higher. I won't be able to, to see underneath it, you know? Yeah. And that, that's what happens with me. And so I have a few spots where that canopy, you know, is only 12, 14 feet. And that's actually kind of that 170 inch buck that I had on camera this year. That's what happened in that spot is, the canopy is so short, but it's really thick. I had to use a ground blind. And so I was, you know, it's kind of certain spots work good for ground blinds. Others are tree stands. Mm-hmm. Some of my other spots, I mean, when I'm talking about this big timber, dude, some of my spots, I mean, the canopy's 60 feet off the ground. I mean, it's <laughs> like way up there, you know? And so it just kind of, I think it's high enough, but there's so many limbs on these trees that it just creates this dark, environment down in there. Yeah. And so, but the problem is it's open on some of those trees. So I hang my stands at like 25 feet trying to, you know, get high enough off the ground to avoid them looking up in the trees and stuff. Cause it's, you don't have a lot of cover. Yeah. And so, so like where you're, where you're typically hunting at, is it, is it pretty steep type country? Is, is it uh, like, like actual mountain type country. Yeah. So everything I hunt, I mean, when you think about like kind of out here in the West, it's like guys come out here and hunt elk, you know, and you see these big giant mountains and steep hills and stuff. I mean, where I'm hunting, my whitetails are literally in stuff like that. I mean, I could have a mountain that runs up 3000 feet right behind my tree stand, you know I mean? So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely steep country. I do have a couple stands that is in a little more mild terrain. I'll call it mild. Like it's more still- foothills type stuff. Yeah. Stuff okay. like that. But I don't ever hunt any lowland farmland, anything. It's all in the mountains. I mean, everything I do is, I mean, elevation wise, I mean, you're 3,500 feet plus, you know, elevation and on up from there. So, 
Um, a lot of guys that hunt whitetails over there, I mean, there, some people have access to private property down in the farmlands and stuff, you know, and they'll hunt down at 2000 feet, 1500 feet above sea level type stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, some of my stands, I mean, I've had stands at 5,000 feet. So, I mean, it's like when you start doing that in November, snow hits, things get a little dicey and that's why you get snowed out. So uh, that, that, uh, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. So how, when you, when you said you're looking for like, uh, like these big scrapes, the dominant scrapes, or I don't know if you call them community scrapes yeah. there, yeah. but same type of thing is you said, that's a pretty big focus on what you're looking for. Yeah. So I'll actually kind of look at a map. I'll take a topo map and just, or Google earth both, but I'll try to find if I'm looking for new spots mm-hmm. and I'll just try to find some, a mountain range with like ridge lines that are coming down off of it. And I try to look for ones and I'll go to like topo view or something on Onyx or whatever, where I'll get two or three ridges that I look like they, they're kind of coming together mm-hmm. and create like into one ridge. You know what I mean? Yep. And I'll just go in and go for a hike and I, and I'll just start scouring that main single ridge and then where it branches out going up these other ridges looking for these scrapes and that's kind of something i start looking for initially is trying to find that or a bench like if these ridges come down and hit a bench in the timber mm-hmm. where it might be two maybe 100 yards wide but two 300 yards you know around like just a flat bench and with like a bunch come, of fingers that run off of it yep Yep. And they'll come down and hit those and you'll start finding rubs. You'll start finding trails that work down into those. And then I'll, I literally kind of grid it. I'll like make grids and start walking back and forth, trying to find scrapes, you know? And once I find them, then, okay, yep, there's one here. And don't get me wrong. It's not like I find one in every single spot, yeah. you know, but it's like, once you do find one, then I'll really start focusing, keep an eye on it. Yep. Okay. They're hitting it. There's fresh tracks. Um, one of the best times to scout and I wish I did it more, I should say is after I've killed my deer, like in November when they're actually rutting because Mm -hmm. all that sign is fresh, it's there, it's in the snow. And I, I spend time then, but not as much as I would like to, because I'm usually trying to a get Kylie a deer or my dad or sister or someone else is still hunting. And then we're trying to take care of deer or maybe I'm still hunting. They've killed one. And then it's like, okay, finally I killed one. We got to get home type of thing. Mm -hmm. So you kind of run, you run out of time, but I have spent some time this year was a good year because I, my dad hunted for another week after I killed my buck. And so it was cold. So we got my deer taken care of and then he kept hunting. So it was a perfect time for me just to keep scouting. And I feel like I learned a lot in some of my spots this year, just spending all that time scouting that I just don't get the luxury to do other than like in the summer or spring or, you know, other years. So do you do much shed hunting? Uh, yes. Well, yes and no. I would like to say yes, but not over there. It's funny. If I I spent time shed hunting, it's like elsewhere looking for elk sheds or something like that. Mm -hmm. I just don't get a ton of time to like spend time looking for whitetail sheds. Uh, when I do, it's usually in October, like a month before I start hunting over there and I'll go around. Of course, some of them are chewed up or picked up, but, um, I'll spend a lot of time when I'm month before scouting, I guess, looking for sheds at that point, but the deer in that area don't hang out much where they're shedding to where I'm hunting. 
because the snow gets deep, so they move. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. That's uh, that's a big difference between here, uh, as far as the eastern mountain bucks or big woods deer versus where you're at, because you have all that the elevation that brings in the snow. I remember talking to Troy Pottinger about that. And, yep. you know, he, he said like most of the time it's only if, it, if it, they drop in like January or something where they might be living at, you know, in November, yep. then if, cause if they drop later, they're normally, they could be a couple thousand feet lower at that point. Exactly. So Troy, I know Troy. And then, so Troy, I mean, we don't hunt next to each other, but similar country. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, same, same thing happens with that is those deer. I found a big shed, uh, 2015 or 16. And he's, he's basically, he's just a big four on the one side. Uh, he's big, well, a three with a giant brow and then he's got a kicker off of his G2, but that deer had so much mass on that shed. And I literally found that shed right next to one of my stands. I parked and like walked off the bank from the truck just to go down in this hole and check it out and found it 15 feet off the road And the buck literally shed right off the edge of the road. But I looked all over for that deer. Do you think I one never had him on trail camera and I've covered that whole mountain for years. And so I don't know where he was living. And two, it was, like when he, to shed there, he had to have shed there late December or January for that shed because the snow that year got really deep and there's no way that deer was living up there. So it's kind of weird when you start thinking about it and thinking where these deer shed and like trying to find them in that country, because it's not, it's not an easy feat to go be like, Oh, I'm going to go track that buck down. I found his shed. He's here. Yeah. You know? Like it, it just doesn't work like that. And once they get up in that timber and start working out on those mountains, I mean, who knows? So, yeah. So to go back a little bit to the, the e-scouting portion, do you put much, uh, time into that? Or are you just looking for those train features? Is there anything, anything from like a vegetation standpoint that you're looking at online or that kind of draws you in? Yeah. So I, I spend, I mean, Kylie would probably kill if anyone else, she'd kill anyone. I mean, me, but it's like, I spend so much time scouting. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky because it's like literally every night I go to bed and we literally like watch TV or she will laying in bed. And I'm like on Onyx looking at maps and I, like every night, whether it's elk or deer, whitetail, it doesn't matter. I'm looking somewhere every single night. And so <laughs> I spend a lot of time though, looking over at my whitetail spots, just thinking, where could be my next spot? Where am I going to go find a new big buck? Um, but yeah, when I'm scouting, I'll get on Google earth or, you know, Onyx and look at the aerial views. And what I'm looking for, uh, hardwood type stuff. I, I look for a lot of that. And then, um, I'll look for some of these old, like clear cuts where there might be a lot of feed and vegetation and stuff that might be next to some big timber or a really thick, hardwood type bottom where those deer are going to go in and lay down in bed and kind of hang out where they're safe. Um, nothing. And especially in some of the spots we're at, nothing is going to get to those deer without them hearing you coming from three miles off type of thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's nasty. So I look for that. And then I'll also look at like water sources, you know, it's like, uh, swamps. I, I like looking for swamps in timber Um, so I'm like, okay, I know they can get water in there. Um, I know it's thick, there's feed around because the water. And so, but what I look for will be like some of these ridges coming down and then there might be a swamp or something at the bottom of them. 
and it creates a pinch point. So those deer have to travel around them yeah. or next to them type of a thing. But I know like those are going to be good spots if there's deer there. And generally most of the ones that I find, I mean, there's deer around them, like every single one of them because they're getting water. And so in some of those places in Eastern Washington, um, they, the water and like these little streams and creeks and stuff that you might see on Onyx dry up midsummer because the snow is melted and it's run, it's runoff is all it is. And they're not actual flowing creeks. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of is an issue. But then once you figure out these swamps that they always have water, put two and two together, that took a while to learn. But once I kind of figured that one out years ago, then it was like, oh, no wonder there's deer here, you know, and then it, things started clicking and you were always seeing rubs there. And then that's kind of where it led me into certain things. But I feel like it's almost one of those things that over the years, you just pick up on little things and I've learned so much that I don't realize that I've learned Yeah, that you go back and you're like, oh, this is why I'm successful and figuring things out. Cause I've figured all these little things out over that you don't, you don't even think about anymore. And you know, and it's it's funny because I've always heard like, you don't, you, you learn something more when you teach it. And what, what I learned is like when I started talking about e-scouting and stuff with, I started realizing things that I was doing that I wasn't really thinking about, or I wasn't, you know, I didn't have terms for them, right? I just, okay, that, you know, areas that have, you know, like you're saying with these swamps in it, like, okay, if I can replicate that in other areas, uh, you know, or where these fingers run out and things, and you just do it without even thinking a whole lot about it. Exactly. And I think that's one of the things it's like, I'm just always looking at a map and like looking for those spots that I take it for granted. And I don't really even think about it until you just brought that up because it's just stuff that I do. And so now I'm like, Oh, maybe that's why. So maybe (laughs) kind of open my eyes here a little bit, but yeah. um, yeah. So I think, but yeah, terrain wise, um, I definitely look for like the vegetation and those ridges and then the water sources. And, you know, those are kind of like my big three things that I'm like trying to figure out vegetation, where they can feed, where they get water. And then, you know, where they're going to hide type of thing. And then travel kind of comes into that once I'm like, how am I going to hunt it or whatnot? But as far as like natural food, is that mostly, um, browse as far as that and grasses that might come up in some of them swamps and things like that? Yeah. So this is where we run into kind of a major disadvantage hunting mountains, natural you know, food sources, public land is I don't have the luxury of, Hey, my deer eating alfalfa all year and getting giant horns. You know what I mean? And so, or like in a cornfield or whatever, I don't have that luxury to say, yeah, I'm going to shoot a 200 inch deer this year because he's got the best nutrition that you could get all the deer that I'm shooting and we're hunting. I mean, those deer literally are eating just natural grasses, browse, plants and stuff that grow in the mountain each year. So if we have a dry year and then they don't get as much nutrients in the ground, obviously I'm not going to have as big, you know, of a growth year. And then if we get a really good year, then I might, and it's weird, my area, if we get a year that has a lot of nutrients in the ground, all of a sudden my bucks will start showing up and they're like kickers or split eye guards or like weird stuff going on. And then the next year 
I'll have that same deer and he's like lost a kicker. He's lost two, three kickers or a split eye guards. Like it's weird. And so it like, you can kind of tell year to year, like, Hey, he had a good year and nutrients were good. And then in the grass and stuff, but this year kind of sucked, you know? And so I've got one buck that I have six years of pictures of right now that we've been watching forever. And it's funny over the years. I mean, he's grown all sorts of different little things like based on, you know, nutrients and stuff in the ground, but for the most part, he stayed exactly the same. So it's just thing kind of weird, you know, and, and I, we've noticed that with weather affecting them. One, if we have a bad winter or say we have like ice late, that they can't dig at the ground and get any feed that way. And they're only relying on browse that's there. Then once it starts to getting, you know, into the summer and everything, all their nutrients go into their body rather than their antlers. But if you have a mild winter and a lot, it seems like a lot of rain early in the summertime, that's when you see the biggest, the biggest yep. antler growth. And sure. like this year was a terrible year actually for antler growth for all the deer that, that I was hunting besides the one I shot, none of them got any bigger. Some of yeah. them actually got smaller um, racks from, I'm like, I know it's the same deer, but it, yep. he didn't, they, they like exactly what you said. Yep. And that's, and I, I don't know about you, but I mean, it's like a lot of guys in the Midwest that, you know, they start talking. I see all these posts on social media and everywhere and, oh, I got this 180, 90 inch deer on my camera and this and that, you know, or a 200 on my camera. And I'm like, that's oh, cool. And it's like depressing before you even go out in the woods, because I'm like, I know that my area it's where I'm hunting. I mean, dude, if I see a buck that's 160, I'm like, dude, we're doing it. You know, I'm like, I, I got that's a big deer and I'm killing that deer. But then I, I think about it and I'm like, dude, 160 inch buck on public land with a bow, especially in Washington, is that's a big deer. Like, I don't care 160 anywhere. It's like, it's big. Yeah, it's a big deer anywhere. Yeah. yeah. And so, but it's kind of, that's like where my deer kind of top out at, you know, but then I have a few bucks that, like the one this year, I mean, I say 170, he might be a little bigger, but like, he's a big buck. And so when you start thinking about my buddy's dad shooting one at 226, and then I know of another buck that was killed right next to me, that was 204. And so there's a lot of big bucks that are there that get killed on public land, but it's like, they're just freak deer. But then I'm like, man, what would that deer have been if he was eating like, like out of a, a field in Iowa, yeah. you know, like what, what would that 200 inch deer be, you know? And so, and, and they probably get, I mean, in your area, they probably get age on them is what helps with the antlers. Like, like it would be in our area. Like they don't, you don't see a three-year-old that's 150 inch deer, uh, at least <laughs> not here. <laughs> no. Yeah. Not, not in my area either. I mean, most of my deer to get even 140, 50. I mean, it's like they're five and a half ish. Like, you know, I mean, they're getting to that big mature phase, but then the problem is, as you know, hunting those bucks in the mountains and trying to kill one, especially once they get four and a half, five and a half, you're just throwing more wrenches and the whole work, you know, works trying to kill one because they get smart, they get cagey, like, it just goes downhill. And so it's like, cool. Yeah. I got this giant buck on my camera that I finally, he's old enough to shoot, you know, but then it's like seeing him is another story. So that's, that's where things kind of go down the rabbit hole of now I really got to work at this and try to figure out what he's doing to kill that deer because it gets way harder. So I actually sent the tooth in on this buck this year 
to get it aged. I'm curious to see how old that deer is, but I think he's probably seven and a half, eight and a half years old. That's like, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. He, he had that look to him. Like when I saw the photo, I'm like, you could just tell he's just an old deer. And yeah. did you send it in the deer age? Uh, no, there's a place here in Montana called Matson's Labs down out of Bozeman there. Okay. And and they age teeth for um, a lot of the taxidermists and air, stuff around the area here. Okay. So actually I went to the taxidermist and he had that pamphlet and I was like, oh, what's this? And I grabbed <laughs> it. You know, I was like, I got to know, you know, so I paid like 75 bucks to send the tooth in, but dude, it was, it's just like a peace of mind. You know, it's like, I need, I needed to know, Yeah, you know, I, I need to know what that, how old that deer was. So I I'm hooked on it. Last year was the first year I've actually ever sent a tooth in to, you know, I've had taxidermists look at it and give an estimated age, which they can usually get pretty close to it. But then when you get like, they send you in like a certificate and telling you what it is. I'm like, this is awesome. Like it's, it's so cool. And I actually have my jaw still saved in my freezer for my one this year. I haven't sent in the teeth yet, but I, I need to, cause I just like, like getting it back. And, and last year mine was eight and a half um, gotcha. years old. And it's just, I, I love seeing that. And, and, and it was, uh, and actually the taxidermist had aged him at nine or 10. He was thinking just because of the teeth were just so worn down, but those old bucks like that, it's just, that, that gets me worked up. <laughs> me too. And, and it's cool because I mean, when you think about, especially out here, it's like all the predators that that deer had to evade its entire life. You know I mean? It's like we're hunting around an area. There's a ton of cats. There's ton of bears there's wolves i mean it's like we have so many and then hunters i mean there's so many variables that go into that deer even living that i mean most of my deer probably don't even make it past three years old four years old be four and a half whatever because they get eaten mm-hmm. so you know it's like to get one that made it and then finally get big enough then it's like now we're talking you know because it's like there's a lot that went into that deer getting to that point in its life. So that's why they're so cagey. You know, that's what, when I first started talking to Troy and he was talking about all those predators, I'm like, man, you know, I thought, you know, we have coyotes and bears and that's really it as far as a threat. And they're not really threats to those old deer. Mostly it's just the hunting pressure here that, that gets them. But having at all times, like not even at night, they're safe, you know, <laughs> out where yep. you're at. Cause all yep. the predators. Exactly. And that's, that's, what's tough. I mean, we had wolves on two different cameras this year. Kylie and I were sitting in a blind and had wolves start howling behind us one day. I mean, dude, it, there's so much going on here. And then we had a monster cougar on one of our cameras. I mean, it's, it's a tough life for those deer out here that, you know, if they make it, it's like, yep, this is, this is special, you know, and then to see them year after year, I got two bucks right now that, I'm just dying to see again, one of them I've had on camera for three years in a row and he blew up this year. And of course, then I got hooked on this other deer and I should have been chasing this other one, but <laughs> it is what it is. But I'm like, please just make it one more year, yeah. you know, just like, <laughs> make it till next year. So I can get you, you know, like that's, that's all I want. So I don't know, but who knows? There's a lot of variables. He might not make it through the winter. So, yeah. And how, how is the deer density in, in those areas that you hunt? super low. Like that's, that's the thing. I mean, I'll be honest, most of the spots, if I put out a camera, um, and, and just leave it, I might get three, four does max and maybe 
the same amount of bucks. Like I used to get a lot more, but I mean, even over the last five years, it's like cut in half. I used to have like, you know, seven, eight does. And then I'd have like, I don't know, four or five little basket rack type bucks. And then like two or three in that two and a half to four and a half range. And then I get like one or two that were big, mature, you know, five and a half year old plus deer. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, well, so for example, the buck that I was hunting this year, I literally was like, I'm killing that deer. And he was the only buck hanging out. And there was a few does there. And that was it. It was like, I was hunting one deer and it was a ghost. And I was like, I'm killing that deer. Or I'm not killing one. And I was going to hunt him in, you know, two weeks if I had to. And so, but some of my other stands, I mean, this year it was like three, four does and then two, three, four bucks, like, and they're not all big, like just dinks. And then one decent one, usually at each spot. Yeah. And then every once in a while you find a giant, like it's not, they're not around every tree by any means. No. And I mean, that's the thing. People think they're like, you start killing big deer and people are like, oh, he's hunting an area. There must be 50 big bucks there, you know, type of thing. No, it's like, dude, I literally eight different stock or spots that I had set up and then it whittles down to like three or four. And then it's like, okay, there's a big one at each one of those. But then one of those, he's just gone or a ghost, like he only shows up at night. And then you might actually be able to hunt one or two of them. And then that's it. And there's not big deer everywhere. So it's like, when you see 170 inch deer, you're like, okay, I need to focus and figure this out, you know? And that's when I, I don't know, I kind of joke around with my dad and Kylie, but I'm like, I, that's when I go into kill mode. Cause then I'm like, okay, I need to figure out how to kill this thing. And then they know not to bug me. Cause I just <laughs> literally start thinking different, you know? Yeah. And I'm like moving stands, moving this or that, trying to figure out where that deer's at. And then we're going to kill him. So you, you need to give a, a saddle a try. Dude, I know I've had several guys talk about that. And actually, so one of my buddies that hunts over there, he bought one this year mm-hmm. and he was talking to me about, cause he parks his truck and he hikes down through this, like kind of a, it's a, we'll say a small river. It's, you know, big Creek, small river type status. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually labeled a Creek on the map, but it's kind of a small river, literally like wades that thing and then climbs up this mountain three quarters of a mile up the other side and gets on this bench and he was packing his tree stand and ladders and all of his crap over there and then this year he went and bought one of those saddles and he's like dude that was a game changer (laughs) and so i was you know and then he actually kind of got my wheels turning on it because it opened up hunting some spots and there's spots that i would hunt hands down if i had a way to get in there but it's you know it's i can get in there but when you're layered up and you know four or five layers of clothes, just trying to stay warm all day when it's that cold out. Dude, by the time you hike in there in the morning and get all your, you know, gear on, and then you go hike into your stand, you're sweating when you get in there. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have to climb in there a mile, you know, I mean, then it's a mess. So then you're cold and you ruin the hunt. And so (laughs) there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, there, there definitely is. But like, so my, my saddle set up, so I have a, a, a tethered saddle and their sticks, the whole thing weighs seven pounds. That's including the, the saddle That's including the sticks. That's everything I need to get up in the tree. And I don't have, I don't have any fixed stands out anymore. I used to do that, move them around and whole climber and areas and all this stuff and hang ons and with the big steel sticks. And I'm like, 
no, now I, I use that. And, and I also, if I'm going to hunt, I might hunt the same tree, you know, four days in a row and I'll just leave my stuff there. But it, uh, it's just, it's cause then I can move without like being like, I have to tear this down, you know, cause after five, six days of sitting all day in there, your drive to want to get up and move something that's big and heavy is, it's, I don't know. It's tough on me at least. Yeah. It doesn't sound very fun anymore. No, it, no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I've been there. I've done it a lot and I'm just like, okay, this needs to happen. And then now I'm just going to go hunt somewhere else. Cause that's already set up and I don't want to mess with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of even like abandon deer and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go hunt a smaller buck. Cause I don't want to mess with it, you know? But yeah, I've been there, done that. The saddle thing might be something to check out here for sure. And I mean, heck, it could be a good deal here in Montana too. Like I know spots that I'd like to hunt elk and you can hunt over a wallow or something and take that thing in and, you know, clear in the back country and get up above the wallow. I always get a bad time from all the guys, you know, for hunting whitetails one, but then when I'm like, oh, I'm sitting in a wallow, I'm going to kill an elk off this thing. You know, they're like, let's go call an elk in. And I love calling elk, but I'm, I don't know. I'm like, I'm an opportunist. I'm going to kill one how, wherever it seemed fit in the situation. So mm-hmm. it's sitting in the wallow. I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah. And you know, what's funny is, uh, so I was working uh, a booth for tethered, the saddle company at total archery challenge in Pennsylvania. And there's a bunch of Western guys there and they're over there looking at them. They're like, this is a game changer for hunting wallows and stuff like that. Like, I think if some of you guys get to using these things, like it, it would, it would definitely be a, a, a changer for you. I, I saw there was one of the uh, guys, uh, well, Eric Chesser from Hush and had killed one out of elk out of a saddle this year and yep. used one. They're just so light. And, and, you know, I, I always see, you know, people in Utah a lot hunting wallows and stuff. And I feel like that would be perfect for it. Yeah. You kind of have to in some of those areas. So yeah, I mean, dude, they would be, um, you talk about stands. I actually packed, freaking tree stands in utah clear up where i ran into your was your cousin yeah my cousin made yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i had i had tree stands clear up in there and i packed three of them in there during the summer and had them clear up over the backside in in the next canyon and yeah so i spent a lot of time in work i was like i'm gonna kill a mule deer up here and like i found some good spots and there was bucks there but then ended up shooting one an hour and a half half after daylight just spotting stock and wasted all my tree stands but anyways <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean i've packed them a long ways you yeah know? and that's that's some from what mason told me he's like that's straight up and straight down country in yeah. there too he's like it's rough <laughs> yeah yep yeah so, so. The, the backstory in that is my, my cousin mason who i've done all my hunts with and and uh has been in some of the films for anybody listening the the uh, elk hunt and everything. And he <laughs> ran into John and actually watched John arrow a mule deer. They were both stalking the same buck in Utah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny. It is. It's hilarious. Yeah. He, <laughs> what, what, I can't remember how he, how he described it and how I figured out it was you. Cause he didn't have your name completely right. He said, I think he said he called you John Barclow. And <laughs> I was oh, like, oh. And, and, and he started describing, uh, you and and something you guys said and then i saw your buck on instagram and i was like all right now it makes sense and then he's like yeah that's him (laughs) yeah that's funny i know i ran into him at the truck there after packing my deer out and then he killed one i think it was the next day he killed his yeah and then i ran into him and it was funny because i seen his pennsylvania plate at the trailhead and i was just kind of like 
huh, how'd you end up clearing here at this spot, you know, and didn't put two and two together. And I didn't even know he was your cousin until you brought it up. Yeah. And it was kind of funny because, you know, small world, like traveling across the United States and then just a small little circle, you know, it's kind of funny, but yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, that was good. So, but, but anyways, uh, back to the, the tree stand thing. So do you, do you typically sit in the same spot like multiple days because of that low deer density? Yeah. So I actually, I've, I've had some people say, Oh, you can't sit in the same spot day after day. And the way I look at it, I have so many things going against me already because I don't have a lot of deer and the way that, you know, the mountains are there, the wind kind of swirling all the time. And so I figure that my scent it for, at least for me. And that's why I try to set my stands at like 25 feet off the ground, because once you get above like 2022, 20, the wind will actually change from what it's doing on the ground. So I feel like if I get that high, my sense doing something different. So they don't really know that I'm maybe even in the area. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's almost a bad thing, but I get locked on like one deer and I'm like, I want to kill that buck. And so I'll sit there every day until I kill that deer, like until he makes a mistake. And granted, I've already done a lot of educated guesses, kind of, I'll call them educated guesses, like looking at trail cameras and everything. And like, kind of knowing like there's good odds that this deer is going to slip. And then I just sit there until I kill him. And so, um, I've had some that it hasn't worked on, but a lot of them it has. And so I just sneak in and sneak out, but I'm really, you know, on, on like scent control. And every night I try to shower and, you know, use like dead downwind or some body wash or something to try to kill my scent. And then I spray all my stuff down, like backpack, bow, everything, every night, all my clothes, boots, and just really trying to eliminate my scent as much as I can. I don't know if that stuff works hundred percent. I, I don't know. It's a, it's yeah, a mental it, it's thing, mental. right? It, it, yeah. It's anything. mental. So yeah. but they say it works and I'm assuming that they've had some scientists that say it works. So I, I you know, hey, I buy it, I spend money on it. I might as well use it. And, uh, but I, I don't know. I can't really say that it doesn't work per se, because if I sneak into a spot and sit there day after day, after day, after day, and then I finally, you know, I mean, I kill that deer. And if you're going in, especially a big white tail buck like that, big old deer, you got to be halfway scent free because I feel like his patterns would change or something would change. It was just like the ground blind. I mean, I knew something was yeah. up. And so, or he and he did too. So yeah, I sit the same spot this year. I didn't. And I kind of, I don't know. I, I killed that buck on the third day. So the first day I hunted him, second day, I actually went to a different stand on that one buck that I'm hoping makes it till next year. And then I hunted him again the next day, trying to just not let him know that I was in the area. And so the, I, this year I did it only because I just was like, this is kind of all my eggs in one basket type of thing. And I didn't want to mess it up. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, I, I I get, I hear that all the time from whitetail hunters, like about bouncing around. That's kind of like the, you, you know, you can't hunt the same tree twice. And, and I bought it for a little while because like, I saw it so much and people saying, I'm like, yep. I got to move. And then I realized I was becoming less successful because I was bouncing around and I'm like, hold on a second. This doesn't apply to what the Midwest does and stuff. When you have a lot of deer, I yep. can understand. Like when you have, 
you know, a dozen does that you might see in a night. Yeah, you could probably screw it up from your scent. But for me, I'll sit three days and not see a single deer a lot of times. So it's like, I know that this deer uses this trail and hits this scrape sometimes. I need to be there when he, when he does, you know, come there. If I keep bouncing around, then, then all of a sudden I'll go check that camera. And there he was. And I was, and I, I did that last year in 2020, I was hunting one specific deer and, and I had was, I literally stood at the tree where I was going to hunt again. I'm like, I had Justin, my camera guy with me. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to move down here. And I, I moved only like 80 yards. I'm going to cross this little creek and up the other side and didn't see a deer all day on the way out. I was like, I'm not even checking that camera, whatever. A month later I came back in and, uh, he was there that day stand like, and he was that close to me, but it was so thick with, uh, evergreens that I couldn't see see him or hear him and the creek was flowing through there. So it was just like one of those things, like you got to trust your gut and, and wait it out sometimes when you know, it's exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've been there, done it. And I, I don't know. I like sitting the same spot just because it's a mental thing for me. It, you know, I'm like, the longer I sit here in this tree, something is going to happen. And if you, like you said, I, I look at it, you start bouncing around to other stands. What happens with that? You're not spending as much time hunting, that specific deer, your odds of missing another deer at another spot are pretty good. And so you're, you're just, you're better off in my opinion, especially if there's not a lot of deer in the area to just hunt it because you're not going to bump them as much generally. So yeah, that that's, I'm kind of under that same strategy as far as I'm sitting there until I kill that deer. So I'm, some people, they can't sit in a stand that long and they hate it. So, you know, I mean, yeah. it is for me, it is what it is. I'm like, I know that's what needs to happen. So it's a mental thing that I just block out and do it rather than maybe just like, oh, this is fun. I'm just going to sit here every day. I enjoy it personally. I, I mean, I like sitting all day like that, but some people can't see the same scenery every day and you know how it is. Yeah. It, it, for me, I, I can, I've learned to do it because I wasn't good at it when I was younger. And I remember my dad would always tell me like, you need, you need to sit like and that midday movements can be really good. Like you need to sit, especially during the rut. And I'm like, you know, I'd climb down at like 11 and then I, I I've had it where literally I'm halfway down the climbing sticks and here comes a buck or, you know, or I'm walk or the camera show me after I left and I'm like, you know what? I I'm not doing that anymore. And it's, I just have to have to stick yeah. it out. Um, do you, so in, uh, it sounds like you focus most of your time during the rut when you're hunting the white yeah, trails, right? mainly because I'm hunting other things throughout the year. It's like, you know, okay. yeah, I'm hunting elk, you know, I'm hunting bear, I'm hunting antelope, whatever. It's like mule deer, even it's like, I'm bouncing around all sorts of different hunts. So I just kind of know like, Hey, this is my time that I'm going to go hunt those whitetail. And then that's kind of what I block it out for. But hmm. how, how does, how does Washington, uh, or actually it'll finish your thought. I was going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm funny. Cause I was actually talking last night and we were eating dinner and I was like, I wonder if I could go over there in September, first week of September, because season opens usually September 1st. I'm like, I wonder if I could go over there before the elk start really bugling this year and go kill that big buck in velvet. And so I don't know, my wheels, my wheels are turning now. And honestly, I might give it a run this year just to do something different. Oh, that would be, would you, would you think you'd still focus on those screens? I don't know. Like this is, they'd be a new thing. Like, I'm not sure what I would do. And so my wheels are turning now and I'm like, I need to start. 
I need to start <laughs> figuring out how I would kill one, but I almost want to do it just to challenge myself to see if I can kill one of those bucks. I mean, I know they're sometimes easier when they're in velvet before they shed or rub, but, um, I don't know. So I might need to do pick some people's brains and just kind of see what to look for. And, or, you know, like just, I don't know. I like picking people's brains anyways about anything. And so I'm like, yeah. I'm going to do some picking. I think I might give it a run. I would talk yeah. to Troy. He He's killed a couple in velvet or early in September yeah. like that. And I, I feel like he still hunts scrapes from the, the sounds of it, but maybe they're where they're located at might be a little bit different than, you know, your rut setups, but I I've never, I've never hunted them that early. Our season doesn't open till yeah. October. And I always feel like though, that they are more predictable. Like I'll get some of my biggest deer right when they're it, when they last have velvet and even re- like at the first week after they lose their velvet and then they kind of disappear and I have to try to relocate them again, you know, when it comes to October, sure. I mean, I I killed my deer October 2nd this year, which was opening day. And I, I haven't killed a deer in October since 2014. Normally I'm a rut hunter. Cause I just, I, I don't want, I don't have the, the time to focus it's just weekends uh, when I'm off of work and we don't, we can't hunt Sundays in PA. So it's only Saturdays. And I just always focus my time during the rut. Cause that's the best opportunity that I have, but I would love to hunt a state sometime early like that and really put, you know, a week's focus into trying to do it. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of where I'm like this year, maybe I'll do it because I've been hunting mule deer in Utah the last few years in August. And so, and this year I'm kind of like, "Mm, I don't know if we're going to go back to Utah, obviously moving now and maybe not getting a tag. So I'm just kind of like, maybe I'll shift gears and go try to kill my whitetail early. So mainly because I kind of, well, like I said, everyone gives me a bad time about not hunting mule deer. So I'm like, maybe I need to go hunt mule deer in November this year and try to kill like a 200 inch buck or something. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe I need to shift gears. So I'm, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, so where, so is Washington, are they, do they treat non-residents okay when it comes to whitetails or how does that look for someone that would like to like travel there? Do you mean like, as far as like getting a tag? yeah, getting a tag and everything. Yeah. So you can go hunt over the counter, but I'll say it honestly is a super expensive kind of state to hunt. Well, I say that, I mean, some of these other States are expensive, but for a deer tag, it's like 434 bucks. So, I mean, yeah, it's not your most friendly state to go and hunt deer. If I were just going to go pick a state, I'd probably go somewhere else. It's way cheaper. Um, but yeah, it's the only reason I'm going back is I have well, I was a resident there for obviously most of my life. So I got a bunch of elk points. So I buy the deer and the elk cause I have 20 points for elk and 24 for moose, sheep and goat there. So I'm just kind of like, I got to put <laughs> yeah. in until I draw my elk tag and just keep going. So it's cheaper for me to buy the deer and the elk combo license than just to buy an elk tag and put in. So that's the reason I'm going back, but somebody can go there 434 bucks, go buy a deer tag. They can buy it the day they show up buy it on the gas at a gas station and go hunt. So, I mean, if you want, you can do it and anyone can go do it. Um, you just got to pay attention to certain units that are open at the same time, um, with like rifle units and stuff. So, you know, wearing orange and stuff like that. Um, and just kind of pay attention to those things, but it's doable. Yeah. Is, is there, is there any areas that are draw for whitetail? Um, there's a few tags, but most of those are rifle tags and they're down in like Southeast okay. Washington and like farm country. 
So okay, uh, that yeah. that makes sense. And have you have you hunted whitetails in Montana or Idaho or yeah, I've like actually that? hunted whitetails in Northwest Montana a few times, and it's just big mountain country up there, just kind of like what I hunt in Washington. Um, almost in places on steroids though, because some of the mountains in Montana are pretty big. So, um, but, uh, I've hunted them up in Northwest Montana a little bit and that's actually a really fun hunt. And there's way more deer than what I'm hunting in Washington. And you can hunt them with a rifle all November. So it's like all rut. You're just out chasing them around with a gun. So now that I'm living here, I honestly might give that a go again, just to go and see if I can track down, you know, something big up there in the mountains. Um, but yeah. So I've hunted them in Montana. And then also a little bit when we've been hunting mule deer, of course, you'll see them running all over the place, like farm fields and stuff like that, or river bottoms and stuff, especially central and Eastern Montana. They're, they're everywhere. So, um, killing a whitetail in Montana in November, especially if you had a gun in your hand would not be, in my opinion, it like it's a one day hunt you know, like you just go out, find one. You're probably honestly going to shoot like 140 or 50 inch buck and just like get her done. And it's over, you know, if, if you knew where to look, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. When I dropped my buck off at the taxidermist this year, uh, here in Montana, when I was coming home and these, this guy, and there was like three other guys with him, and they came in and they were with an outfitter and they were hunting somewhere and they go in and he drops his buck on the floor next to mine. And it's like, a mid one seventies deer. And he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, we shot this one. Oh, we got a couple more. And he goes and starts pulling horns out of his truck and all these guys. And I'm like looking at all these deer and they're just like, like one forty fifties. That one's like one seventy, And they're like, Oh yeah, we just shot them up there. You know, we're just hunting for like a day, day and a half. I'm like, what? Oh. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it just, yeah, it was like no big deal to them to just go and shoot nice bucks that most guys, I mean, most guys never even kill 140 inch white tail, you know? And so no. it's like seeing that. And then they're talking about hunting like a day, day and a half. I'm like, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I've, I've said it before and I'm going to do it in the next couple of years is hunt either, you know, Northwest Montana or Northern Idaho or something for whitetails. I have a buddy, uh, Josh Boyd, that's in Northwest Montana and he, kill some giant whitetails up there and just talk to me about it. And Troy over in Idaho and you on Washington, like that whole area just has like my attention. I just want to, I just want to yeah. try it. Dude, it's super fun. I know Josh really well. And uh, yeah. Oh, do yeah. you really? Okay. Yeah. yeah he's an awesome guy. dude. And he actually knows one of my good buddies from Washington that moved over there to Libby up there in the Northwest corner. And he's a deputy up there and Josh knows him really well, but yeah, it's kind of funny because Josh loves whitetails and it's, I actually started following Josh way back when, when he shot that big webbed whitetail. Yeah, I know yeah, exactly. It was on the cover of Eastman's about. or I think it was on the cover of Eastman's. I can't remember, but it was in Eastman's way back. And I remember looking at that and I was like, Oh, I need to figure that out. And that was kind of right when I started hunting whitetails or like roughly within a couple of years. And I started seeing that. So then I got actually, I like reached out to Josh to like pick his brain, like way, way back to when. And so then we kind of just followed each other on social and stayed in touch and then met at a few of the sportsman shows and ATA and stuff like that. And then I don't know, Josh and I kind of, kind of became buddies, but yeah, it's funny because now we're both living in Montana and I'm like, I want to come up there and hunt deer with him just to go do it. But it's, it's a very yeah. small group of people that truly love hunting 
well, like whitetails when you're out in the West and then those type of bucks, you know? So I feel like Troy and Josh and myself, like, I don't know Troy as well. I know Josh, like, I know, I, you know, just Troy from social and whatnot. And, but it's like, Josh, I know. And so I'm like, I just want to hunt with one of them just to do it. Oh, I know. If you, if you reach out to Troy and be like, Hey, I'd love to pick your brain. He'll talk to you for three hours on the phone about it. Like he love he's ate up by it. Like you are. And, and I am like, he just loves talking about white tails. And, and I, I think that would be, yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to, to maybe one of these years we'll have to plan a, or maybe even sooner plan a hunt out there and yeah, do that. I don't know. I think fun. it'd be cool. It'd be fun to like get all of us together and figure out some way to go do it and see what we could kill. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that yeah, would be sweet you know i'm 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 planning on getting i'm planning on hunting montana a lot this year if i can get yeah. tags um i should draw a pretty good unit um for elk i've been putting in points for as long as i can get the general tag that's the only thing i'm worried about is getting that to just get the end and then also get a deer tag so my plan is i'm actually thinking i'm going to go out in the spring and spring bear hunt with my brother and then go back in september for elk and then come back in november to hunt deer so that's that's what kind of what my there plan is that'll be good that'll be good yeah so yeah that'll be cool and and um so i we kind of we kind of covered your uh 2021 buck i mean it was did you have many photos of him like like knew, knowing that he was alive and yeah so i actually and that's the thing i obviously him being there last year, I had a ton of pictures of him last year. And then this year, um, he must've had some good nutrients somewhere because he actually, he didn't really get bigger per se, like frame wise, but he got bigger split eye guards and then he grew a kicker on the one side and then a G four actually on the one side that he didn't have the year before it was kind of a bump, but I know he was old enough that he wasn't going to get bigger per se. So he just must've had the nutrients this year. But, um, Yeah. So this year I had, man, I don't know how many pictures of him a lot. Like he was living there. And, and of course I knew from him being there last year where to find him. And so it was kind of like, I only had the camera out for maybe three days before he showed up on it. And then after that, then it was just like on, and I made a bunch of mock scrapes and this year and Troy uses that buck fever synthetics. And I actually picked that up from Troy and, um, used that this year and made a mock scrape right here. And that dude, he just started hitting it like every night and he was hitting it like two, three times a night. He would come back, check it. And then there in the day and then back. And yeah. So, I mean, he was living there. I don't know how many pictures I have of him, probably 500 to a thousand somewhere in there. I bet. Yeah. Holy like he was going to die. Like it was like one of those, like I have too many yeah. pictures, like <laughs> this deer's dead. I just need the right day. And so, yeah. And then a big thing for me, and I, we didn't really touch on that, but it's like the weather. And so I I'll watch the weather. Um, that's like my biggest thing is it can either, it'll be like sunny kind of good weather, or maybe just overcast headed rain or like light snow. But one day all of a sudden it's like going to start either downpour rain or it, which those have been good, or it's going to snow or something's like changing. It's going to get really cold and get nasty weather, windy or something. And those are the days when I feel like I'm killing a buck. And so this year 
when I killed him that day, it had snowed a few days before kind of started melting off. And that afternoon, all the snow was gone and it was supposed to start pouring down rain. And then it was going to snow that night. And, um, it, so I say all the snow is gone. There was still a little bit of snow, but mostly gone. And then, um, it started to pour down rain and it was like one 30 in the afternoon. I started feeling a few raindrops and I was like, great, I'm going to get stoked. But before four 30, when it gets dark and, but I, and it started getting a little breezy and it just chilled off a little bit. And I literally text Kylie on my in reach. And I was like, it's perfect. I was like, let's party. And then dude, it was like, she messaged me back. She's like, it must be good. And I was like, the weather is perfect. I'm going to kill that deer this afternoon. And it was like four o'clock. I heard grunts and here he came in right behind me and I killed him. And it was like raining, just starting. It was like kind of getting nasty. And here he walked right out. And I knew it was just like, I had that feeling. I was like, I'm going to kill that deer. And then the next week when I went back and got Kylie and she was hunting, we had one day and it started in the morning. It was supposed to get kind of nasty and snow during the day. And I, I told her, I was like, you're killing a deer. And we saw five bucks by 11 o'clock that morning. And we hadn't seen that stand had kind of been dead. And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, there must've been a hot dough. Five bucks. She yeah. shot one sad story. We ended up, she lost it. She, we thought she spined it. And then it ended up getting up and walking away and she derailed her bow. And it was, it was bad. And, uh, so anyways, we end up losing this deer. And, uh, so, but that day was the same thing. That weather just started churning and getting nasty. And I, we went and checked, we had four other stands still up at each of those stands. There was a big buck, big mature buck in the daylight at all of them that day. Yep. Real. And I literally, it was the weirdest thing because I just knew, and I was like, doesn't just pick a stand, pick a deer you want to kill. We're seeing one. We're going to kill it. And we did. I mean, well, she should have. And so, yeah, yeah. Weather's a big thing. That's, oh, that's, that's interesting. And, and you, you know, it's, it's with weather, like those fronts that are coming in and stuff. Some people like to hunt the front of like before this gets bad. Some people like to hunt after summer. And so it's always interesting to, to hear how, how that works. And I like the bad weather like that myself sure. too. I like it's depends. Like with me, I feel like with heavy snow, when we get our first snow, it almost shocks them and they don't move until the yep. next day. And the day after that heavy snow, it's like, yep. it's on, you know, especially it's November yep. or whatever. And then, uh, and, and when, when is the rut, um, uh, like the time you focus? On uh, I would say that? like the best time, like peak ruts around like the 20th through the 25th of November. Yeah. Okay. So kind of a little later in the month, but that like Thanksgiving week generally is like, that's when things are really clicking. So, okay. but I've killed deer early too. Like, I don't know if you'd call it pre-rut or like around like the 13th, 14th, 15th, like that week prior. And like I killed the buck this year on the 13th. And so, you know, it's yeah. just, they're starting to move They're you know, and I, you can tell on the cameras, like, I just know I'm like, Hey, these deer are starting to get kind of ruddy and I just, I'm like, he's going to start showing in the daylight and then I'll be watching my pictures and all of a sudden, boom, like there he is, you know? And so then I'll, okay, well, he's daylighted once he's going to be back. It's just a matter of how many days, you know? So, Mm -hmm. no, that makes sense. And so when you go there, do you, do you stay in a cabin or something or do you have tents up or no, we, we have like a cabin that we've just ended up staying at over the years. Like you kind of just get to know people and then, you know, Hey, and we end up 
just staying at this cabin for year after year after year. And so, yeah, oh, just makes awesome. it nice. So, especially when it's nasty. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, like, it's one thing, like, when I'm, you know, and I go out west and, and usually I'm out there in September. So, like, you know, it's okay to to backpack hunt or to, to camp. But when you're sitting in a tree all day, all you want is warmth yeah. after. <laughs> exactly. you know? Like, you're not yeah. moving. It's one thing if you're hiking all day and stuff, but, like, it's that's a whole nother world like that whole late season people that do that and then they camp out that's that takes a different yeah vibe. dude you're dedicated there was one dude i don't know four or five years ago set up a wall tent we drive by him every night and we'd come out you know of course we're some of our spots like we're literally driving like an hour back in the woods off the highway and especially if there's snow on the ground and stuff I mean, we're a long ways off the beaten path but every night so when we come out it's dark but there was this dude and he'd have his fire just ripping in that wall tent every night when we come by. So first off, I'm always thinking he had to be back here early and not sitting in the best part of the day because he would not be back in the tent with it ripping like that. And, you know, and he's, yeah. I'm like, he's, so he's probably dying sitting in his tree stand all day. And then, you know, and then he's trying to warm up at night, but yeah, I've, and then we've had a few storms roll in there and I mean, the wind is horrible. And that's the thing about that area um, a lot of Eastern Washington, they're called tamarack trees and they're like evergreen fir, hemlock looking type tree, but they're the pine needles turn yellow in the fall. And those trees are really weak and they'll fall over. I mean, you don't have to have wind. Like you, they're just all of a sudden a 60 foot tree comes crashing to the ground type of thing. And, uh, you gotta be really careful though, especially if you get any sort of wind and there's snow. And I mean, you're, you better bring a chainsaw and you're cutting trees out of the road, um, pretty much every day. And so like my dad and sister got stuck in there one year, I don't know, three, four years ago, and they had to cut 13 trees to get out in the evening out of the rain. Really? So, I mean, it's like, you're just kind of, there's a lot more that goes into it. I mean, it's like just instead of climbing in a tree, I mean, you're going in in the morning. Okay. You got the chain because we're probably gonna have to pull a tree out of the road. You know, like you just know if the weather starts getting kind of bad. So it's kind of a. Mm-hmm. it's a sticky situation at times, but I worried about that dude in the wall tent though. Cause where he was camped that year, there was trees that they always fall in that stretch. And I was like, Oh, we're going to drive in one morning. This poor guy, I'm like, we're going to be rescuing him, you know, type of thing. So it, yeah. yeah, that was a little scary, but. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, so, so the one thing I forgot to ask you at the beginning was to kind of, to give some, some people a background, I'm shifting sure. gears hard here, so just follow me. But uh, um, what you do for a living, and and because you are, a lot of people probably recognize your work, but you know may not be as familiar with who you are from that standpoint. Yeah. So um, yeah, I own a company called Apex Advertising, and I do a ton of um, design work in the hunting and fishing industries and all over the place, but primarily hunting and hunting industry more than fishing. Um, so I design logos and apparel, uh, packaging, vehicle wraps, websites, do a lot of marketing too on social and stuff. Um, and then, um, yeah, so, I mean, work with a lot of big companies, you know, out there, uh, Phelps game calls is probably my kind of biggest one that I work for, you know, Dirk and Jason on a consistent basis. And we all hunt together and stuff too. And then also I'm a co-owner, um, at the elk collective, And then that is an online education course that basically teaches people how to hunt elk. And so, yeah, it's kind of got a lot of, um, a lot of feathers. Yeah. And you've, 
And you've done like most of the design or maybe all of it for Kafaru yeah, yeah. and a whole bunch yeah, of others. Kifaru, too, right? I did a lot. I've actually built their catalog for a few years. I mean, that thing was like 48 pages long and I built that front to back. Um, and then, well, yeah, Cody Rich, his backcountry fuel box and his podcast and stuff, done a lot of stuff for him. Um, I've done stuff, you name it. I mean, there's so many. Cameron Haynes, I actually was the one that designed Cam's Keep Hammering logo when that first when he came up with that and that started and then I built his website and everything and built some of his t-shirts. And so, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of stuff throughout the industry over the years and worked with been fortunate enough to work with a lot of the big companies and whatnot. And it's been a great time. So, um, yeah. yeah. So that, that allows me to go hunt a lot owning the business, but I also work a ton. So, I mean, it's like we're hunting and I'll come in in the evening, even more whitetail hunting and I'm on my computer working. So, anyone that knows me knows that I work a ton and it is what it is. I mean, like this time of year, I always joke when hunting season's over, I work seven days a week until September. And I'll say like, there's probably not many days that I actually don't work seven days a week in the off season. So yeah, I love work and I love to hunt. So I'm just kind of like figure out a way to make it all work. You're just living. The I'm, best trying. Life, I'm trying. I'm <laughs> trying. I feel like a lot of times I burn the candle at both ends. And then, you know, I mean, there's a lot of days I work 15 hours a day. So, I mean, it's like you just pick and choose what you, what, what's important to you, I guess, and try to fit everything else in between. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And, and, uh, it's, it's cool to see like you, all your work in all these different companies. When I was on your website, I was going through, like, it says your, uh, your clients or whatever. I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that you did all that work for, you know, that amount of companies. It was pretty incredible. And then Cody was giving me some background on, you know, you're building online courses and all this stuff. And I was like, man, John's a busy talented man he does a lot yeah, of stuff I've, I've, I've worked on a lot of stuff over the years that's for sure so yeah and there's a lot yeah. of companies that i could put on my website that aren't even on there you know and that's a crazy thing so um yeah it's kind of it's weird when you look at it i don't realize how much work i've done until we'll walk into a sportsman's warehouse or cabela's or something you know i'm like oh i designed that packaging oh, i made that ad or that end cap or that shirt or we'll be out like eaten somewhere and i'm like oh there's a shirt that i made you know and like it just and it was yeah. kind of funny actually like um born and raised when they had their land of the free uh series when it first started so i made that logo mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it started popping up people's trucks and shirts and stuff everywhere and it was weird just walking into places and you know they did a good job marketing it you know and and then oh yeah, yeah and it, it was just like huh there's some artwork walking by you know and it was just kind of funny to see that but yeah it's it's good i can't complain i enjoy it so yeah no that's that's awesome and it's funny so when my background when i was when i was in high school all i wanted to do is graphic design like that was the thing that i wanted to go to college for and all these different things and i ended up basically somehow getting fed the fed from the bottle that I needed to get a job in manufacturing and go that route. And, and cause it, it just, it, I don't know, not many people that I knew was doing graphic design and, and I kind of look back wishing I would have, cause I, I enjoy that stuff. I was always into art and drawing stuff and designing things and I, I enjoyed it. And I, I, I love seeing that when people are doing yeah. that and, and, uh, it's, it's yeah, pretty cool. I love it. And that's the thing. I mean, I was kind of the same way as you, like my mom, um, she and my dad both, it was like work 
you know, nine to five at some corporate company type thing. And like, Hey, this is what you need to do. And so, you know, my mom would always like hammer me with, you need to go find a real job. You know, like you can't own your own business, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, you know, and it was funny because I look back and I've had the business, uh, like over 10 years now. And so it's, I just, it's weird. And I mean, there's good things like coming, my mom was super strict when I was growing up, you know, and I mean, like always forcing me do your homework, do this, do that. And I learned a ton, but I always felt like I was going to go get some nine to five job and, you know, work at a, a bank or like do something. I, I don't know. Like, you know, I liked finance. I liked numbers and stuff. And um, so I always felt like that's what I was going to do. And then the way I ended up doing what I was doing, that's a whole other story, but um it's weird how it spun into the path that I'm on now. And I look back and I'm like, man, I always thought I was going to go a different route, you know? And, and it's just, it's weird how the world takes you a certain, certain way sometimes, you know, and I don't regret any of it. And I feel like if you can take something out of every situation and just like, what, what did I learn? What was good? What, you know, what, what can I take on from that to the next thing? you're going to do pretty good. So it's like, just try to take all the little nuggets and put it under your hat and don't take anything for granted. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And it's inspiring to to hear that, that, you know, that you don't hear too many people say, I love what I do. I work 15 hours a day and sometimes, and, and I work seven days a week. Yeah. And I love it. Like you don't hear that. No, it's pretty rare these days. I'll, I'll say that. So yeah, Cody gives me a bad time and stuff. Cause he's a workaholic too, you know? And like, I think that's why we, we both hit it off and like do so good together and like working on stuff and like whatever is because we're on the same page. It's like both of us just love working entrepreneur stuff. And, you know, it's, you're fortunate to do what you love. And so I think it just makes it easier to, to kind of succeed and push forward. But yeah, yeah, I don't know, but I think it, it also is a personality thing a little bit too. You know, it's like, I, I love seeing things succeed and other people succeed. And, you know, it's like the, effort that I put into, you know, helping someone else and see their dreams go forward. It's like, it's just cause it's, it's who I am too. You know I mean? It's like, dude, if you knew me and like got a chance to hunt with me and stuff, it, it's when we leave the truck, I'm like, I'm not coming back here without a notch tag, you know, especially if I'm hunting elk or something, it's like, if we're backpacking, mm-hmm. it's like, Nope, we're not coming back till this tag's filled, you know? And that's, it's just, I don't like failure. So it's like everything I do, I'm like 110% all the time, you know? So I think that's why it's like work, hunting, everything, relationship. It's like, I just go 110, but that's me. So. And then you sleep yep, when you're dead. That, that's my motto. I'm like, I'm just going to sleep when I'm dead. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. So, yep. Oh, that's awesome. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's obvious, you know, with, with your elk hunting success and your whitetails and everything else, like you don't, you don't do that by, uh, going half-assed or, you know, going in that way and business, all of that. And I think, you know, for, for me, I feel like when I started elk hunting and I realized it was like, all right, I need to prepare kind of year round for this, you know, whether it was fitness or scouting and with whitetails and stuff, that just, for me, hunting was what translated me to for rest of my life to doing that and getting into doing the stuff with the podcast and everything else on the side. I'm like, I can make a very comfortable living just doing my nine to five, but I really enjoy doing this other thing. And I just, you know, I don't know. It's just, 
one of those things I just love keep doing. I love hearing people that do that. And that's what, you know, I'm actually in, in the process of doing Cody's course as soon as I finish his, uh, the rich life Academy about, you know, entrepreneurship and, and everything. Cause I just, I love learning that. I love being around people that are like that. And it's pretty, yeah, pretty cool. Absolutely. I think I'll see you on there in a few too. He invited me on tonight. So. Oh, yeah. did you? Oh, so yeah. we're going to yeah get yeah, off this. Talk talk more. Yeah. Again. So. <laughs> yep. so yeah, he texted me earlier and was like, Hey, oh. you want to jump on this thing tonight? I'm like, I guess let's do it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, cool. all right. Well, uh, I guess with that being said, John, do you want to let everyone know, um, where they can follow you and find your business and anything else? That yeah. You so, out? um, you can follow me. I, use Instagram primarily, um, at John Gabriel, it's J O N G A B R I O. Um, and then Facebook's the same. Um, and then business wise apex advertising LLC and, uh, it's apex co, just C O no M on there. So, um, that's my website for the business. And then obviously we've got the elk collective.com too. So, um, yep. You can go from there and they can follow me and just a lot of hunting pictures and stuff like that, that I love. So, pretty much it awesome man well i appreciate you coming on and and talking to me about this it uh it was cool i I love the the, it's a mixture of the the western stuff i love and the white tails and the mountain bucks it's just the whole package so thank you very much thank you Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.